All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 19th episode of The Lab. Uh, sitting with me here today, we have, as always, Brandon Weirig and Alex Trotter, and I'm Lou Follenkamp. Uh, we have a special guest with us today. This is our fourth interview. We have Michelle Troncali from the University of Notre Dame, who is currently serving as the Associate Director of Olympic Sports for the Strength and Conditioning Department. Uh, as the Associate Director, uh, Michelle Trocali is responsible for all aspects of strength conditioning for the men's soccer and women's lacrosse programs. So thanks for being with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So if you would uh, give us a little bit of a background, what brought you from, you know, let's say high school all the way up to where you're at now up at Notre Dame? Oh, God. I mean, there's a full uh, extended version, but I'll keep it relatively short. Um, so grew up in Connecticut, so East Coast, born and raised, um, went to undergrad, small university called Endicott College up in Beverly, Massachusetts, where I started studying physical education, um, did an internship at a middle school job shadowing, as you will, and realized that me and kids don't really get along that well. Um, so went back, uh, sophomore year of college and decided that get out of physical education, go towards more just exercise science in general. I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I knew I liked sports. Um, so that's kind of where I went. Following my sophomore year of college, I did an internship at Central Connecticut State um, with their women's basketball program, thinking maybe I'll be a basketball coach. That seems fun. Um, spent my summer up there with them, only about 20 minutes away from my parents' house. So I was able to kind of work and live at home for free, which was super nice and do internship. Um, but I realized that I don't like the recruiting process of being a coach. I don't like having to schmooze 14, 15, 16 year olds and their families. And so what else is there for me? Um, walked in with the student athletes that summer to the weight room and immediately kind of just fell in love with the atmosphere, with the music, um, everything about it. So went back, started junior year of college and changed my major or changed my concentration into strength and conditioning and really just dove right on into it. Um, tried to learn every single thing I could. Um, lucky enough that following summer, I got an internship at Quinnipiac University with Rajesh Patel. Um, he took a chance on me. Um, young, young student who didn't have any experience, didn't know what a front squat was. I have no idea. Um, so he really took me in, taught me all the real basics of everything. Um, great experience up there working with the men and women's hockey and men and women's basketball programs. Went back to Endicott with thinking I was some like hot shit, uh, became a student <laughs> assistant. I was like, I know everything. Um, I didn't know anything, but was a student assistant up there with um, softball, field hockey, a couple other sports because we were a small school, didn't have a huge staff, so they needed student help. Um, then going into senior year of high or college, did an internship at UConn with their women's basketball team um, with Amanda Kimball, mm -hmm. uh, Maureen Butler with their hockey, baseball programs, um, and then immediately right after did an internship, full semester internship and thesis um, up at Northwest, Northeastern, excuse me, um, right in Boston um, for that fall semester of my senior year. I was super fortunate to graduate in 2015 and then immediately went down to Nashville, Tennessee at Belmont University and started a graduate assistantship um, where I worked with two other GAs and one full time. And 
worked with our women's soccer, softball, and men's golf programs down there. Um, wicked small school, so didn't really have any athletes or no funding for the summer program. So then I went to UNC Chapel Hill, um, where I worked under Eric Hernandez, um, Greg Gatz, um, all the all the great people over at UNC for that summer, working with numerous master programs, soccer, lacrosse, volleyball, um, tennises. Um, went back to Nashville, finish out my master's degree, then got my first full-time position um, as an assistant director at Marshall University down in West um, Huntington, West Virginia, where I worked women's basketball, men's soccer, and women's tennis down there. Spent about 11 months when uh, Mike Zimborski up at Notre Dame gave me a call um, and stole me away and came up here in July 2018 and kind of haven't looked back since. Nice. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's a it's a long road. Um, Endicott College is amazing. It's a really small school, but they mm -hmm. require three internships before you graduate. Mm -hmm. um, so where they really force you to get out to find out what you like and what you don't like, which is which is great. That's pretty cool. Now, besides these two, I'm like, I'm a huge Notre Dame fan. I mean, I, I've bled blue and gold from the day I was born. So I got to know, like, since now that you've been up in Notre Dame since 2018, what would you say is like, what's kept you there? Like, what, what, what's got you addicted? Oh, gosh. I mean, everything. Um, gotta admit, I am a um, diehard UConn Husky fan. Uh, my dad went there, grew up in Connecticut, had season tickets to the basketball game. So uh, when UConn women's basketball comes up to Notre Dame, I secretly wear UConn gear. Um, don't tell my boss, but um, no, Notre Dame's just great. I mean, they really exemplify what it means to be kind of the gold standard and wanting to be the gold standard when it comes to collegiate athletics, um, research, from the non-athletic world, um, the relationships across campus. Mm -hmm. um, it allowed, Being here at Notre Dame in my five years, I'm able to do things I never thought I would be able to do in terms of what I work on the day-to-day, -day, my outside projects. Um, mm -hmm. That's not just daily, hey, I'm in the weight room, all that good stuff. I get to be so much more. Um, and then we're always just pushing boundaries. Um, Mike Zimborski has been director here for about five, six years. Um, he brought me on in, as his second hire, and he has just continually pushed um, the boundary of our strength and conditioning department. And then we just hired John Wagel from the Kansas City Royals as our director of performance. And he has been with us for about um, probably about eight months now and has already just really opened up the idea of what our department of performance can be and should be. Um, something as simple as we were able to now get eight new force plates last week. So now we have 12 in total, as opposed to just having four for the last five years here. So um, just the ability to do more. And then the student athletes are just amazing kids. Um, I've never met a bunch of students who are just so respectful and kind and genuinely care about me as a human. That's awesome. That's pretty awesome. Thank you. So kind of leading into my list of questions here, um, how would you describe or like what, what approach do you take with your, like your coaching philosophy? 
Oh gosh, coaching philosophy. I don't think I've been asked that since an interview. Um, so it might've been five years, but, um, and it's definitely changed over the last couple of years. I mean, as I continue to grow in my career and both age, uh, all that good stuff. But I would say my biggest thing is I, I really strongly believe in human first always. Um, with my student athletes, with coaches, with my colleagues, that everyone I work with is a human or a son and daughter of someone um, or a brother or sister. And I never want to coach someone in a way that I wouldn't want my family to be coached or myself to be coached. Um, so that's my biggest thing. Um, I really believe in a holistic approach. Um, so working very closely with different aspects of nutrition, strength and conditioning, med, psych, even career-oriented stuff. Um, but all in all, it really stems down to, like my true coaching philosophy stems down to what my two goals of a practitioner are, which is to decrease the risk of athlete, or excuse me, decrease the risk of injury for that student athlete, and then make that student be athlete better at their respective sport. Um, and so what I do and how I do it just really boils down to, am I answering those two questions? Mm -hmm. Sweet. So then kind of branching off that, how do you think you've kind of like critiqued yourself or like molded yourself into what you are now based off, I mean, from what it sounds like you, you've had a lot of different areas to be mentored in, like from everywhere you've been in, um, who do you think has been like that biggest inspiration to your coaching style now? Oh my gosh. Um, well, I mean, Brajesh Patel really, I mean, he got me my foot in the door in terms of teaching me the basics and taking a chance on me and pushing me to learn um, when I had no idea. Um, Eric Hernandez down at UNC is one of my close friends still. Um, he's an associate director down there, been there for probably 10 years or more. Um, me and him talk weekly. And so he continues to push me as a human, push me as a practitioner. Um, I, whenever I post anything on Instagram, I know he's going to be there to critique it like that form, that <laughs> athlete, all that stuff. So, um, but he's brilliant. Um, so if you don't follow him, follow Eric Hernandez. And then, I mean, just as from like a human managerial standpoint and just a good person, I mean, Michael Zimborski, my current boss, um, he is really just a stand-up guy who has enabled me to grow in my position, grow as a manager, grow as everything. Um, so I wouldn't be here without those three gentlemen. And then every every place I've been, I've been very fortunate to have people kind of believe in me and stand up and treat me like a person, even though if I was young or a female or anything. Um, so I've really, I mean, the list is too long, but those three, those three guys really stand out. Okay. I'm going to take back here for a minute. Go for it. Um, so like a lot of our listeners are kind of like younger ones. Maybe some want to be like in a strength condition coach. And then like all they've ever seen with us is like the private sector. So yeah. like whenever we come up with new ideas or like our philosophies, we just kind of like, Hey, this is it. <laughs> We're going to just kind of throw it in there and see how it goes. Like when you go to a, a public, like a power five school, and you have these philosophies set and there's like a chain of command. How do you like integrate your philosophies? Like how do they get approved and how do you kind of go about that process? 
Yeah, well, I think every university runs things very differently. Um, and I think that's part of, for example, when I was in my situation of coming to Notre Dame, I was interviewing Mike just as much as he was interviewing me on will our um, philosophies match? Do we care about the same thing? What's our work to life balance ratio? All that stuff. Um, so Mike, we have a, as a department and then as a sports performance department, we have an overarching um, philosophy, as you will. And then each one of us is, an, is allowed and enabled to have our own personal methodology, as long as, again, we are reaching towards those goals. Um, and having check-ins with ourselves. And we use a lot of technology to see, is, are our programs working? Are they not working? How can we better our student athletes? Because um, I think if you are in a situation where you all practice the same way, you don't get better as a practitioner or you don't challenge each other, you don't challenge yourself. Um, but I would say like for younger listeners, like. I know right when you get your first job, it's kind of tough. But after you have that first role, like make sure that wherever you go, your philosophy as a human and as a coach is in line with like that director and that school, because not all schools are the same either. Mm -hmm. It steered me away from like a college setting. Like the whole time I was like, oh, I want to be like a college strength coach. And then like start doing like the interview process for like an internship. And it's like this dude set in his ways and like he is it going to go outside of his ways? And it's like, how are you going to yeah. grow? And how are you going to like, I don't know. If you're stuck. Yeah, take yeah. a role. Like that uh, old football coach mentality. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very clear that I am not a football strength coach. Nothing <laughs> on them, but my uh, five foot four stature wouldn't hold up too well with those guys. <laughs> yeah. uh, I got a random one. I don't know if it's on your list. No, go for it. So from the time that you began... To this point now, how would you say that your approach to the training um, as far as uh, either programming goes or even like psychological approach to the kids um, has changed? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think from a programming standpoint, this is going to sound silly, but I've gotten more simple the farther I've gone. And that's not saying I'm using, I'm like, I'm using more data, but I'm programming in a simple way. Um, I think when a lot of people first get into the industry, they want to, let's say you have a lift template, you want to pack as many lifts as there as possible, or you want to try all these methodologies and tier system, um, the contrast system, like you want to do everything. Um, and I definitely fell into that trap. So I think as I've continued to grow, I've definitely become more simple and more um, distinct with what I'm doing. I don't know if distinct's the word. Um, and then from the just the coaching standpoint, it's more of like tough love I see for myself. I think before, especially as younger, you automatically think you deserve respect and you. But in reality, you have to earn that respect just as just as student athletes have to earn respect for you and for them, all that stuff. It's a two way street. And then I so I think 
as I've kind of gone throughout my career, having those relationships and creating that tough love atmosphere for both my men and female student athletes has definitely evolved. Yeah, kind of like piggyback off of that and just brag about our kids, I guess. What I've noticed from being in like the private sector is we have like such a blend of just like the top athletes from every school around the area and they all come here. Well, then now it's essentially like a mini college, I guess, mm -hmm. because, you know, like, yeah, you're the best in your school. But like once you leave that, like there's somebody out there that's better than you. And, you know, now like they're witnessing it firsthand. And I hope at least it doesn't come like as a culture shock when they get to the college level, you know, and they're they're not being like uh, watched over the entire time or like stuff like that. You know, you got to like re-earn it. So yep. they can, like experience that process beforehand. Oh, absolutely. And I will say like, especially since COVID, we've noticed like our freshmen have a really tough time transitioning into that college world for that first, I would say almost first semester. Um, even though they're really wonderful, great kids, they just, COVID really screwed them over and they don't know how to be alone. They don't know how to interact, all that. It's crazy to say. Um, so just, again, just trying to give them the benefit of the doubt has been huge in these last two years uh, without kind of losing your head with, as we, as I would say, common sense um, <laughs> and just kind of teaching them. I mean, it's something, it's things that are so silly. You're like, I would never have done that. But then I remember like they didn't go to high school for two years. Like, yeah, it's crazy. So, yeah, yeah. That actually, that actually worked right into my next question. So I was actually going to ask you, like, how have you gone about like working in some of the new freshmen into like a strength conditioning program or like even like an injured athlete? How have you kind of taken them and kind of worked them into that college setting or back into Yeah, it? so no, definitely. So, I mean, we can take a healthy athlete first. I mean, they're easier. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're super fortunate where we have a thing called the bridge program where we usually, for most of our sports, have about half of the incoming freshmen come over the summer session. Um, so that's like a really easy way to integrate them in. Um, for our spring sports where our fall is our off season, it's also pretty easy to integrate um, because I almost count summer as like a reset period where most of my student athletes, I mean, as much as we love to think that they're at home training, um, doing the summer packet, I mean, a lot of them are doing internships. A lot of them are studying for the LSATs or doing things that I could never dream of. Um, and so really taking that first week or so back as a relearning stage. Um, and like I said, like, because I'm more simple than maybe some other coaches, I don't have like the crazy eight different programs, depending on your training experience. Um, mm -hmm. So really just making sure all student athletes are moving well. Um, I would say for my fall sports that we're, when we're in season in the fall, it's a little bit tougher to transition those freshmen because we're going right into season. Mm -hmm. And so that's where you'll definitely see some regressed movements for our freshmen um, or some progress movements, or we'll use some like velocity-based training stuff to differentiate um, just because one, their bodies aren't used to it. They're not accustomed to it. And some of them have never lifted a bar in the, in ever in their training. And so making sure 
as we're in season that I don't hurt them <laughs> or re regress them because I need like the coaches need them healthy for the season. Um, now with like incoming injured student athletes, um, it's usually actually pretty easy to integrate. Um, because if, if we know that they're injured, for example, like if I know that they have a torn ACL or they've, yeah, okay, we'll take a torn ACL and they've had surgery. As long as they've signed their national letter of intent, I can then communicate with them. Um, and I can call them myself and our sports medicine can, we'll talk to them about what we need from them, what they need to be doing, all that stuff. And then when they come in as freshmen, they'll go through like a series of baseline assessments, depending on where they are in their recovery or their rehab process with sports medicine. Mm -hmm. If they're able to, they'll do some with me. And then it's just based on where they are. Um, if they can be with the group, which is always number one, like even if you're on a different program, you're still lifting with the team. Um, I think that's huge where a lot of practitioners will be like, well, I want them to be separate. I get that. Um, and I always will have one or two sessions a week where it's just me one-on-one -on -one with the person. But as long if I can get them doing their alternate program or their rehab program or whatever, Mm -hmm. while the rest of the team is lifting, I think that's huge from the mental standpoint and the buy-in from those student athletes. Um, we had like, obviously like, for instance, how many um, athletes do you train at one time? Like for your team? Um, like in the weight room at once? You mean like just me? Or like all together. I mean, like if you have like a session at like a, like when you um, field hockey, for like one of your old field hockey kids or groups, how many would be in that weight room at one time? Um, I mean, my lacrosse team is like 43 sometimes. Okay. So like I'll train them by uh, 43 at one time. But like we will sometimes train like with, let's say, the men's tennis team or the women's tennis team. So upwards of probably in our biggest weight room, 60 at a time. OK, so uh, we have like we have the ability to kind of individualize our programs a little bit. So like mm -hmm. a lot of these incoming freshmen that we've sent off the school, we've been able to kind of make their programs kind of more advanced, kind of push them a little bit more. And then all of a sudden they go to their freshman year of college. And as like, I try to put myself in your guys' shoes, like as I'm trying to explain it to them, like, okay, you got to think about there's 40 to 60 kids in this weight room. And you kind of have to have the thought process of they might not have touched a weight mm -hmm. all summer long. So that they go into these programs and like, we're not really doing much. It's kind of very teetered down. And it's like, so can you kind of explain to that, like how that process works for these incoming freshmen that maybe come to like a, a private sector like us and then kind of go into a program like yours to where it might be teetered down for the first month or two or phase or two, whatever it is, until it kind of gets to that more advanced section? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, I by no means I'm talking for anyone else but myself. Mm -hmm. But yeah. uh, for me, I always try to communicate with um, whoever their trainer is, whether it's their um, physical therapist, if they're recovering from an injury, or if the student athlete, like you said, is using a trainer for the last six years, I always try to get that information and communicate um, to much. learn what have they been doing, what can <laughs> they do, what are they proficient in. Um, unfortunately, you'd be shocked at how many I don't hear back from. Um, and that's the same when we're going towards, um, like, let's let's take lacrosse, for example. Um, when they have that winter intercession of five, three to five weeks, and then we're coming right back into season. Or um, 
I myself in sports medicine will always try to have a Zoom call um, with any student athlete that needs a specialization, um, muscle imbalance, anything with the with the potential PT or the personal training uh, trainer with that. Um, but yeah, I would say like for for the general pop coming in, the biggest thing for me as a strength and conditioning practitioner is I don't ever want to put a student athlete in harm's way. And so it would be, I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if I just let any student athlete freshman come in and take the word of someone I've never met in terms of, okay, go get under the bar. I know you, I've been told you can do this, blah, 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 blah. Um, so I think it's important for people to understand that it's just from a safety standpoint and then from an education standpoint in terms of there are a thousand ways to skin a cat. There are a thousand ways to squat. There are a thousand ways to cue. And so for myself, if I'm going to be with you for the next four or five, potentially six years, it's important that we learn each other um, in a safe, safe way, but also not regressing you enough where you lose muscle, you get weaker, you become deconditioned. So it's that, it's that, it's that um, balance. Mm -hmm. That helps us out a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So always answer me if I call you. <laughs> uh, we have time for about uh, maybe one or two more questions, fellas. If you guys have any more you guys want to get into. Um, so I still got just, just on the fly, do you do a uh, like a lower and an upper body split? Or is it kind of just a mix between them all, like every single day kind of thing? Let's say no, off-season. Off-season, um, yeah. I typically do full body every day. Um, I look at it in terms of, well, it depends on what phase I'm looking or really focusing on, but super general. I usually will pair like an upper body push with a lower body pull and then either a hip or a core movement. Um, if it's, um, if I'm doing like a super power movement or if I'm focusing on that ballistic movement, I'll pair it with like a stretch or a med ball slam or something like that. But that's how tr traditionally how I do it to get away with that. So because we don't have that much time in the weight room, sometimes if practice runs late, if anything, like even in the off season, it's like, okay, they can't be fatigued. So I, it, it'd be hard to do an overhead press and a chin up because they'll need to rest more because they're fatigued in that upper body. Okay. Let's do RDL with a barbell bench press. They're working mm -hmm. two different muscle groups. We can get going. How many like different uh, phases do you have, I guess, for like an off season? Do you have like a, oh, like gosh. a strength power, power strength, uh, isometric? I mean, is there like a, a yeah, I mean, like, I traditionally, I traditionally always will have an eccentric phase, um, usually first with, because I work with two field sport athletes where unfortunately ACL, um, ankles, all that stuff are pretty, pretty high risk. Um, so I traditionally always will have an eccentric phase. Um, I don't do too much of is isometrics. We'll do controlled, um, but not too, too much of isometrics. And then it really just depends. Um, it's tough sometimes at the co college world because even in the off season, they still have a fall ball or a spring ball where we'll play six full actual games with refs. And so you still have to make sure that you're getting your work in, but they're not fatigued enough where they can still play 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, so that sometimes alters what you traditionally would like to do of like the eccentric, isometric, concentric, isokinetic phases or whatever it is, or French, like 
you sometimes have to work around it. Um, but I mean, from a full training year block, I would say almost 10 to 13 different phases, depending on the time of year. Yeah. Um, I have one more. Um, for like your normal um, session within the weight room, how long does that typically run? So is it like a half hour window? Is it an hour window? Um, so my programs, I do an hour for every session. Um, in season, I try to only go between 30 and 45 minutes, and then I'll use 15 minutes of like regen. Um, and then out of season, I'm traditionally using that full hour block. But sometimes, um, I mean, one of our weight rooms is outfitted with a 50 yard um, turf. Excuse me. So like for lacrosse, if they'll come in, they'll come in from practice. I'll do 15 minutes of change of direction or agility work or plyometrics, and then we'll do a 45 minute lift. Um, so it's yeah. So traditionally about an hour we have for all of our all of our teams. Yeah. Well, we're just we're just running into like uh, a few issues, I guess, with some individuals where they're uh, they think that if they're here longer, they'll get stronger faster where it's not necessarily the case, but it's all like, yeah. we kind of give them the benefit of the doubt that, hey, you can try it yourself, but hey, we already told you, so. Yeah, I mean, we, like our throwers, um, our sprinters, so like our power athletes, they'll traditionally have like an hour, 15 hour, 30 minute block, but that's because genuinely they, generally they need more rest between their reps. Um, because it's just, I mean, that's their sport and that's the way they're training. Um, I mean, for soccer and lacrosse, we're not going above 90% typically. Um, so, and again, with that push pull model, you shouldn't need too, too, too much rest unless we're going, which we haven't done in years, like true singles, but that's yeah. very rare. Yeah. Makes sense. No, uh, that was a good one to end on. I like that a lot. Yeah. Good one. Yeah. No, but uh, again, thank you, Michelle, for joining us today. Uh, you know, we hope everyone enjoyed the conversation here. Uh, maybe we'll bring you back for another topic. You never know. Uh, yeah, I mean, thanks so much for having me. I love the conversation. Anytime. Uh, but we hope to hear back from you guys next time.